Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Restoring Grace Radio on blogtalkradio.com. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. Thank you for joining us either live or on archives. Restoring Grace Radio is here to provide online lessons about the Christian faith, our history, our documents, and how to express our faith to a very needy world. Thank you for listening, and now, on to our broadcast. Well, hello and wow and welcome back. It has been a while since I have done uh, a talk radio program. I've been working with Anchor.fm. My name is David Fournier, lead instructor here at Restoring Grace. And whether you're joining me either live or archive, thank you for doing it. We're going to get into a Zohar in 15 here in just a moment. Now, the truth about the Zohar in 15 show is it's supposed to actually only last 15 minutes. And most of you know, I can't pull that off. I used to be really disciplined about it, but I gave up. So moving forward, we're going to be talking about uh, Jacob, Yaakov, um, from the Old Testament documents and the Torah, and a couple other things that we're going to be getting into. Uh, don't forget to be listening for Rabbi Hillebrand's Torah Treasures program. He's been doing an ongoing uh, kind of question and answer series with Dr. Tom Bloomfield. And also you can find Restoring Grace on anchor.fm that's anchor.fm i've got a podcast going on over there i appreciate if you could take some time and go give it a listen and uh hey let me know what you think our our zohar portion is called and jacob lived and jacob lived and this is a very powerful commentary about this person i want my life to be a picture like this and and David lived. You know, are you alive? Uh, is your life measured by where you live? I'm sure you've met people. Oh, I live in Knob Hill, Snob Hill, whatever. How do you live? And is it the your is it perception like this is how I think I live, or is this the reality of how I live? Have you ever met someone who changed the way you thought you were living, changed the way you looked at being alive? I did. I did, and it's changed a lot of things. For me, you know what is interesting is it didn't change the way I felt about scriptures or felt about teaching or it just made it more alive. Now, we speak, I like to call it Christianese. We got all the Christianese down. We teach the classes. We hold seminars. But really, when you think about it, is it meaningful? I mean, if it's not making any meaningful change, if things aren't any different, uh, excuse me there. If things are any different because of what we're teaching, then really what's the point? I mean, the rabbis and sages, the teachings of Judaism, the teachings of Kabbalah, they, they don't mean a lot unless your life is transformed, unless we're living in a different way. You know, they say all the time that they're going to miss you when you're gone. That's not the reality of where people are anymore. The reality is they're not going to miss you when you're gone. They're going to miss the things you did while you were gone. And we've got to find a way where life is more than just what you did. It's about who you are. And if there's a person in the Old Testament documents that really shows this 
is Jacob. And we all know his story, so we won't get much into it. But we're going to be right around Genesis chapter 47 here. But we're going to be reading out of the Zohar, volume number 7, portion Vayeka, and verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 7 through 9. Verse number 1 says, And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. Rabbi Yosai said, Jacob's heart saw through the prophecy in Egypt that his descendants would suffer many exiles. Namely, he saw all the exiles from then until now, until the end, which is known as and will be the coming of Messiah. Now, this is really interesting uh, conversation here. I want you to notice what gets said right away. Um, Rabbi Yosef says that that Jacob's heart saw. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, many times, when we're reading scripture, we gloss over verses. I know that. I've heard that verse. I've heard that. Remember how I told you you meet somebody who changes the way you think about being alive? Because that person helps you see that every moment and everything can have a great meaning or can have great intent. Um, I want you to think of uh, the Jewish way of studying scriptures, uh, commonly referred as padres or parzis. And, and it breaks into four specific areas. I'll do it very quickly. Number one is peshat, which means surface or straight, or the literal meaning. And King David went here, or this person did this, or they did that. That's exactly what happened. Next is remez, which means hints, or, or the deep part of it, allegoric, hidden, symbolic, meaning that's beyond just the literal sense. The third one is the word virash, from the Hebrew, darash, which means to inquire or to seek. The comparative type meaning, or midrashic meaning, as given through similar types of occurrences, and last is sod, which is the idea of secret or lore or mystery, esoteric or mystical meaning. Those things that are given revelation or revelation or teachings. Most Christian pastors, by the way, they use the concepts of sod. They take a verse or a portion and they comment on it. They say, well, this is what it means and here's how we can apply it to our life. So there's a surface meaning. There is an allegoric meaning that we uh, hints in the scriptures There is inquiring or seeking the scriptures. Jesus said in the New Testament documents, search the scriptures, for in them you'll find eternal life. He said, derash. And, of course, there is sod, the secret, the mystery, something behind the curtain. Well, a lot of times we just gloss over these verses. Now, Rabbi Yosef and many other rabbis, by the way, that have come before and after him say, Jacob's heart saw. What does this mean? We so often sell short the events to come to us. Like they are like by chance. They are not. Have you ever been in a moment, in a situation, I could describe a couple, but time holds me back, where you're sitting with someone and this conversation is so incredibly meaningful and so incredibly transparent and so incredibly vulnerable. It is an amazing conversation. What makes it like that? Because it's not just two minds that are talking. It's not just two people who happen to be alive. You should only be talking to people who are alive. But a connection is made off the surface and in that place deeper. If you want a life worth living, if you want it to be said of you like I do and David lived, then we got to open our eyes. We have to embrace the suffering and the tears of the people around us. We have to encourage them to be vulnerable and talk with us. And we have to be vulnerable and exchange back with them. But Jacob, he sees this line of suffering, the pain, the exiles. 
He sees at the end, what does he see? The coming of Messiah. And it was worth it. It was worth it. If we're just taking bullets and getting beat up and losing friends and not getting as many likes on Facebook as we thought we should for our really cool saying, if those are the kinds of things that are transpiring in our life, it's going to be really hard if we don't have something out in front of us, that end goal. What is the end goal here? What do we see? We see the coming of Messiah. Many people are praying to go around things. God, take me out of the situation, go around things. When the real prayer, the prayer by Jacob, he's in Egypt. He's seeing all these things happen. His prayer isn't to go around it. It's got to be with us as we go through it. Verse number seven says, when they sinned, we're going to talk about the exiles for just a moment, about living When they sinned and were exiled because of their transgressions and evil deeds, they could not bear the fear that they would really stay forever in exile for their sins. Thus came the aspect of mercy and judgment, which is joined together in the meaning of the name Israel, which, by the way, your name was Yaakov. Your name is now Israel. Two says that your iniquities have caused a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you this so he does not hear. Here's a mind-blowing concept I want you to kind of get your arms around. God didn't leave. God doesn't ever leave. We ran him off. We are the source of division. We are the source of war. We are the source of poverty. We are the source of disenfranchisement. We are the source of racism. Stop blaming God for your action and my action. You know, whenever I teach a class on this, I get everybody in the room, and we take a flashlight, we stand it up in the middle of the floor, we turn it on, it's shooting a beam to the ceiling, and we shut off the light. And then I lay a napkin on top of it. And so what do you guys think? I still see the light. Okay, that's great. And we lay another napkin and then a washcloth and eventually a couple of jackets. Now we're just kind of sitting in the room, um, usually by the glow of those green exit signs by the door somewhere. And the point to make is that God never left. He never left. The flashlight is never turned off. It's still on. It's the coverings over it that are hiding the light that's coming out from that. It's the same thing with our lives. When we read the Old Testament documents, I want you to listen carefully to this. When we read the Old Testament documents, the major charge against Israel that leads to these exiles is the lack of compassion for those in need, the care of the poor, the needy, and a conversation goes on a lot about what's called the foreigner. The foreigner. When we're around people who we love, then we need to love them back right where they are. We need to embrace them and love them and be encouraging to them. We need to listen to what's going on with them. Everybody is not always going to be perfect. Everyone's not always going to be happy. Sometimes there's going to be challenges. But I see today, more than ever, a complete lack of compassion for the concerns and cares of other people. Now, when we go through times of personal exile, separation, what is that fear that the opponent, Asatan, Satan, the devil, puts on us? Here it is, that we'll be there forever, that we're going to be like that forever. 
have you ever thought that? Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, I will be like this for the rest of my life? Uh, my situation will never change. God is in the process of sending you the event, sending you the person, sending you the people, sending you the caring heart to change completely the way you see. How do I know that? Because I've seen it in my life. Remember, Jacob, through his heart, saw through the exiles, he saw through the challenges, right to the moment of Messiah. He knew deliverance was coming. We have to know that too. We are going to get through, not get out, get to Messiah. That's called certainty. Knowing that while we're walking through, I love the Tony Campalo example, when you're up to your nose walking through the horse manure and everything smells like poo, turn around and look behind you, God's planting strawberries. Verse number eight. Well asked, my son, in relation to the verse, and he sold his birthright, birthright to Jacob. We don't have enough time to get into this, but what a fascinating story. But whoever looks into it will know that Jacob attached to and lived represents holiness. Like the name Israel. In relation to the secret, it's been said that Jacob was chosen by the Holy One, blessed be he, to be a sapphire in the throne of glory as Israel. In every generation, in our time now, the past and future, people are chosen by God for greatness. One more time. In every generation, in our time now, the past and future, people are chosen by God for greatness. You and I are those people. Sometimes I will get a chance to meet somebody, talk with them, learn about them, and I'm just fascinated. I'm like, how? How? Can you not see? How can you not see the greatness of God that resides in you? Maybe that's just a job right there. The birthright. It, Jacob sees from one end of the timeline to Messiah, and he takes the discarded birthright. The birthright, by the way, which is later contested by Esau, and leads to the big story of deception about Jacob. Listen to this. When you are on target, <clears throat> when you're on target with your service for God, the enemy is on the way to steal back the ground you took away. Again, when you are on target for your service to God, with God, the enemy is on his way to steal back the ground that you took away. When you start to realize who you are in God, when you start to see the possibilities of your life, when you begin to see what God can do through your life, when you begin to see he sends people in your life that just supercharge the way you're feeling and, and, and you really begin to grasp onto it, and you begin to see there's an elevation in your soul, there's a spark of the divine, there's some great things happening inside of you. As soon as that happens, I promise you, the enemy is on their way. And I've heard people say, I don't know what you're talking about, David. This is ridiculous. You've got a Satan complex. <laughs> That's nice. Okay. I've been serving God for years. I've been a Christian for years, and I've never had this encounter with Satan like you're talking about. You're never going to run into anything you're running the same way with. You will never run into anything you're running the same way with. It isn't until you turn around, remember the word teshuva, repentance, turn around, and you begin to take back that ground that has been taken from you. When you begin to see yourself through the eyes that God sees you, you'll see. The transfer of the birthright, by the way, is one of the most powerful moments in the Torah. It's like a transfer of power, but what came out of it is amazing. 
what Esau thought was not worth keeping, he would trade for a bowl of soup or dinner. Leads us to the 12 tribes of Israel. You can look at your life and you can say, I don't see it. I don't see the importance. Maybe you don't. But just in one incident in the Old Testament, we go from a discarded bowl of soup to a birthright transferred to the man that leads us to the 12 tribes of Israel. Your life is a picture of that. Verse number nine, as we get ready to shut down here. Rabbi Shimon opened the discussion saying, yet with him also is a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. Isaiah 57, 15. The heart of the contrite ones, Rabbi says, is Jacob and Jacob lived. For from beneath the grade of prophecies and blessings descended upon him, even in Egypt. I should have just picked this one verse, and we should have spent a half an hour right there, but let's just get moving. Let's go rip through it quickly. Egypt, everyone has an exodus from Egypt. Everybody has the, the place of deliverance, the place they're coming out from. How people were treating you to seeing what you are in God and not letting that happen anymore, how you were in your life and how you are in your life, what you thought was important and now what is important. We all come out of Egypt, everyone. And virtually everyone wants to be used by full power for God's service. But they miss what's being said here. Jacob was full of humility, a contrite spirit, a humble spirit. And through that, he becomes the father of the 12 tribes. It must annoy God. I know I'm talking for God. This is so bad. It must annoy God to no end to hear all these prayers for revival, and people don't need to be revived. You don't need a revival. Revive from what? The current social landscape does not need mean that we need a revival. It's not what it means. I hear people asking for a revival, to be revived. Because of unacceptable behavior that they see in others. Well, that never has been the key of a revival. They blame the country. They use a word like backsliding, a term, by the way, not found in the scriptures. They shame and blame everyone and everything. But to be revived starts with accountability. It starts with my attitude. It starts with my ability to be loving, caring, compassion, to reach for other people. The key to being used by God is being humble and being available to God. We cannot truly live. We cannot truly be alive by blaming everything that happens on an evil society. I understand that there are things currently going on that you may or may not appreciate. There are people that are in power that you may or may not endorse or appreciate. There are political elements happening right now that you may or may not support, but that does not give anyone the right to name call, belittle, talk horrible, talk down, you know, condescending. That's when you talk down to somebody. Condescending behavior, hateful conversation. It doesn't give anyone the right or entitlement to do that just because they think that they're right. That's not being alive. That's do not confuse movement with achievement. If you throw a frozen fish, <laughs> try that again, a frozen fish into a stream, he's going downstream. He's not alive. That's just movement. Achievement 
is to have a contrite and humble spirit and to look at somebody else's life and say, man, that guy's a, guy's a mess, and I love him where he's at. To truly live is to appreciate and have tremendous gratitude for the things that happen around you. It's not magic. Someone's doing it. Someone's dealing with it. Someone's praying for you. To be alive is to allow yourself to be impacted by the pain and suffering of others and not have to retaliate. Being alive is not about blaming everyone else for what you don't like. For what you don't like. I heard a guy saying, I, I, I want to avoid being as political as possible here. It's not a political show. Talking about that I can't believe these guys are saying this because they've been in office for 30-something years and they're the cause of the problem. You know, nothing's changed and now they're going to change it. Isn't that exactly what Christianity is saying right now? They've been around for 2,000 years. We've been around for 2,000 years. Is the world better because of it? You could argue the point that the world in, in ways large and small is better because of the influence of Christianity. You could argue that. But what about today? You see, for me, being alive is investing in the life of another person and watching that person grow, watching that person respond, watching that person wake, wake up one morning and say, man, I'm loved. Man, I, I'm I'm cared for. I was in Egypt and now I'm out. I've been through a lot of exiles because of decisions that I've made, but I'm claiming my responsibility to it. And I know that I can see Messiah coming. I can see him in all these things. And Jacob lived. It's amazing to consider how many people God has sent into our lives to help us live our lives that we've turned away. I didn't. I didn't. I took this moment, this opportunity, and wrapped my arms around it and said, I welcome you. I welcome everything you are into my life. Show me. Show me what I'm missing. And Jacob lived. That should be the hope, the prayer, the cry for all of us. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here in Restoring Grace. And whether you're joining me either live or on archive, thank you so much for hanging out with me. I appreciate it. I look forward to talking to you on our next Zohar in 15.